Hey listeners, this is Marsha Epstein and it is getting to be late in July. It's July 24th of 2018. I have been living a lot in the social work world and I'm going to admit it. I also was in Colorado kayaking on lakes, which is part of my doing something to refresh. It was a wonderful experience. I encourage everybody for that self-care stuff. You've got to find your things and do them regularly. Whatever is in your life, you need some goodness for you, 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 you. Hey, I always love talking with people who use art, who use art for really personal reasons. And that's why I say that the show is at the intersection of art and mental health. And honestly, that's really where I am at this moment. I'm excited about so many things that, you know, I get to do the podcast and and I haven't been recording as many as usual because of the social work stuff, but also because there are things coming up of a wonderful retreat that's on the social work side related to people having all the experiences, any of the experiences with suicide, loss, their own thoughts and attempts, supporting loved ones, have that coming up. And then the next big thing is what I love, words save lives on World Suicide Prevention Day, September 10th. And you go, oh, that sounds pretty serious, but you know what it is? It's stories and comedy and drag and music and poetry by people who are performing because of their interest in bringing people together, creating a sense of belonging and connectedness and being valued and doing that through art. I love that. It's an annual event here in Lawrence, Kansas that I host. And then pretty soon after that, there's so many things. There's another retreat for suicide loss survivors in early October. The weekend after that is in Kansas City, Fountain Verse Small Press Poetry Festival. And the night before that, Thursday, October 11th, a few of those fabulous poets coming from different parts of North America are going to converge at my house and in downtown Lawrence, Kansas, to perform some poetry here. It's going to be awesome. Night of Epic Rights Poetry and Barry Washboard Barnes and Macy Webb local poets will also be part of that event going to be very cool. And then right after that, we're doing this awesome thing. And I have to give a shout out to Brandon Eisman, who some of you know as Deja Brooks. We, the Lawrence School District, Lawrence Public Library, huge shout out to Kristen Soper and Erica Seagraves. There and Lori's uh, Stecker Doherty from, I'm saying her name wrong, from Let's Talk. Um, I'm trying to think, who am I forgetting? I'm forgetting some people. Anyway, we're bringing this awesome thing called the few perfect workshop to Lawrence, Kansas. And what it is, it's a storytelling and songwriting workshop. And the people that conduct it, oh, I didn't mention this part. It is specifically for middle school and high school age queer youth. And the people who are doing it come from other parts of the country, James and Ryan. They come, they're actors, they're musicians. They've been doing these workshops across the country. It's this amazing thing. It's, again, the power of art. And that's happening. That's happening. That's happening. Anyway, I'm going to stop it. There's lots of stuff going on in my world of art and mental health, and I hope there is in yours as well. So I'm going to slow down, and I'm going to introduce – I actually have a guest today. I'm not going to yap at you for the whole hour. Yay! <laughs> and my guest happens to be from the Kansas City area, although this is the first time we've met – we almost met when we were both away for the annual conference of the American Association of Suicidology, but didn't manage to make it happen there either. But here we get to meet. And what what got me uh, to, to learn about this guest is that I heard about this art exhibit coming up in Kansas City. It intrigued me. So with that, I'm going to finally say, welcome, Lindsay Doolittle. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Actually, I, I really do appreciate you having me here today. Uh, this uh, this would have been 10 years for me and my late husband. Um, uh, it's your anniversary so, date. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I always like to have a plan for, you know, big things like that yes. and not be at home alone. So, yes. <laughs> so I appreciate you having me out here. Perfect timing. You didn't tell me that before, but perfect timing. Yeah. 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 
And I'm going to just give a little bit of clarification that, that you know, at, depending on how old you are in your life, depending on your life experiences, you either have or you will have experiences of losing loved ones. Some of the people you love are going to die before you. Some of them are going to die after you. There are going to be different ways that people die, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, we don't talk about that enough. And we need to because we all experience it. And when we have lost somebody important to us, when they have died, dates and different kinds of experiences get whole different meaning to us. They, they aren't the same as they were before, you know. Um, and the same is true for people after losses that aren't through death, you know. There are major things that happen and then suddenly that event that was always so fun to do, but it's so associated with that other person. Now it's like, I can't bear to do that because it brings up those memories or I'm glad to do it or whatever. Anyway, life changes and we change after every really traumatic experience we have. We're not less, we're different and it's gonna happen. So we're gonna talk about that. <laughs> So I'm glad to be part of a good day for you. And tell people what you're doing tonight, because just when you said it, it cracked me up. Oh, yeah. I, I told uh, Marsha here that I had to just be gone by 8 o'clock of Evil Dead the Musical tonight. So that's all. I can't hear the phrase Evil Dead without thinking of the movie High Fidelity. Oh. You know that? I love yeah. Jack Black. Yeah. And that conversation about, but that would be a lie. <laughs> Yeah, I, I unfortunately don't get to sit in the first two rows, which are the, the blood splatter rows, but I'll get to see everybody get blood splattered tonight, so looking forward to that. Oh, yeah, great. <laughs> the warped side of Lindsay, or the approved side of me, whatever. I'm really about scary stuff. <laughs> that is great. So, so tell people a little bit about who you are. Just a, and you can choose whatever bits you want to. You know, it's like, well, I don't know, I'm a person. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I guess what brings me here, I um, on April 22, 2015, my husband, Sergeant Brett Doolittle of the Kansas City, Kansas Police Department, ended his life. And um, it changed my world forever. And I... I chose to, after some time of uh, blaming a long time, um, I chose to seek help and I went to a support group called SAS, Suicide Awareness Survivor Support. Huge shout out to yes. Bonnie and Mickey Suede. Bonnie and Mickey Suede are yeah. amazing people. And um, they've helped me so much. They showed me that, you know, it's not my fault that not be ashamed and that I'm not alone. And the support group has so many different people, wonderful people um, there that just, it's a safe place to share and unite survivors. Um, so my, my journey um, began back in 2015, but I wanted to really uh, work on uh, bringing awareness and making change and so uh, I, I uh, have become now a board member to SAS, and I got my facilitator training last year in Milwaukee, so I helped co-facilitate with Bonnie and Mickey. And, um, and I also decided to write a, a children's book because my nieces and my nephews, they, we didn't know how to explain it to them. They wanted to know what happened to Uncle Brett. And I'm also an elementary art teacher in North Kansas City, and my students wanted to know what happened to Officer Doolittle. And unfortunately, in Missouri, they have not passed the Jason Flats Act there. So um, Missouri schools are still in the dark ages when it comes to suicide awareness and prevention. And, you know, it's not talked about. So... I decided to write a children's book, and uh, my children's book says suicide. It does not sweep it under the rug. It just it offers officer offers a gentle way of explaining a suicide loss to a a, a child without um, hiding it. 
And as you say, it's above the rug. Yes. I started my website, which was called Above the Rug, because um, I try to be as honest and transparent as possible because I want to prevent this happen happening to anyone else. I don't want people to go through what I went through. And, um, and I think that we need to not start at the high school level or the middle school level. I think it needs to start at the elementary level because I know that those kiddos are having those feelings too. Mm-hmm. So um, my book, um, the illustrators in the book um, are all lost survivors because I wanted to show any kid that picks it up that they're not alone. Um, so um, the, the book... The way I explained it is um, by using the curriculum in our school. We talk about Vincent Van Gogh. And oh, by the way, my book is called Goodnight, Mr. Vincent Van Gogh. Well, in the school system, we talk about Vincent Van Gogh, like here's a pretty picture of Starry Night, but we're not talking to the kids about um, why Vincent Van Gogh painted that pretty picture or where did he paint that pretty picture. You know, we, we show a picture or the painting of him with his ear cut off, but we're not explaining to the kids why he cut off his ear. And that is a really, like, great learning opportunity for kids right there. In my book, that's what it does. It explains that. And um, I'm, I'm proud to say that the Vincent Van Gogh Library in Amsterdam, they, um, they have my book on permanent display there because they said that it was a message that uh, needs to be heard all the way out in the Netherlands too. That's awesome. So um, I'm pretty proud about that. And um, like I, like you said, we, you know, we went to the same conference. That was my first year going to the American Association of Suicidology conference because they invited me to come out and do an author signing there. Uh-huh. So I felt pretty proud about that too. Yeah. And, um, and Tri County Mental Health. In Missouri, they they picked up the book and they distributed it out to all the schools in the Tri County area. Right. So, but you know, it's still there's such a long ways to go uh, in the Missouri schools. Um, I know in all schools, yes. you know, um, but I know that Kansas has a little bit of head start with the Jason Flats Act passing in 2016 here. So it's and and as you talk about that, I will say, you know, it's. A small step yeah. that, and the for people who are wondering what we're talking about, um, the concept for the Jason Foundation is <clears throat> these um, legislations in states, and a, and a lot of different states have, have different versions of them, which mandate a certain amount of training in suicide prevention, suicide awareness, or staff of public schools for their accreditation, and so it's it is a, a small step. It is not the be all end all. And that's kind of my broken record is like, you know, yeah, it's great to spend an hour a year with that information because that's as minimal as it is in some places. But that doesn't do all the things that need to happen. And I will say that my belief at this point in my uh, lots of experience personally and professionally (coughs) is what we really need to work on is culture change. When we are more compassionate, when we show people that they belong, they're valued, and and that we say, you know what, wherever you're hurting, in your heart, in your leg, in your tooth, whatever, whatever kind of help you need, it's the best thing to ask for that and get that. Yeah. You know, we need to take care of each other. We need to look out for each other. We don't do that enough. You know, I I will say I I, I there's so many stories I could tell that started with a smile at a stranger and a hello, and a story from that person that unfolded. And and I I do that naturally at this point. It's who I am. I'm interested in people, not in a voyeuristic way, but in a, you know, I, I, I care about people. And I think if, if a conversation may be a thing that brightens a day for somebody, it is well worth my time, mm-hmm. you know? And the truth is I, I will get something that I am enriched by by being with that person for yeah. those moments, you know? And we need to do that. We need to not be afraid of people. We need to talk with people, learn from people, you know? Yeah, I agree. I, I'm just saying with the Jason Flats Act, if they pass that in Missouri, 
because there's uh, Missouri teachers that are making judgment calls that they have no professional background um, where they're thinking that uh, if a kid is saying, oh, you know, I, you know, they, they're expressing that they want to end their life. And then the teacher is like, oh, they didn't mean it. And they have no professional background yeah. to make that judgment call. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I totally agree with you in caring for one another mm-hmm. and empathizing with one another, whatever right. background they come from. Yeah. And and with schools and workplaces, you know, there are all these faith communities, all these places where people are congregated. And we have that opportunity to pay attention to each other and to have ways within those systems to to make sure that if somebody has a need, that we help them connect with somebody who yeah. can help. And that's mm-hmm. what it's about, right? Yeah. And I will say with the Missouri legislation, part of what's really sad is that Missouri had that big opportunity. At yes. the same time that Kathy House was working on the Kansas side, she was working on the Missouri side, and Kathy was doing this out of love for her daughter Katie and friends who had died of suicide. And Kansas embraced in a limited extent, I will say, but but we have legislation. Missouri, they stalled and they stalled and they stalled, and so it still hasn't happened. And it's um, it's an unfortunate statement that that's not enough of a priority to that legislator legislature that they move forward. It is because that's that's how we show what we really believe in, what's really important to us, where we spend our time, where we spend our money. Mm-hmm. You know. And, and I could go on a whole gripe about that with the Jason Flat in Kansas. It was very clear there'd be no money from the state to support this. That yeah. was part of the deal. It's like, really? It's not <laughs> worth any money to maybe save some lives of kids and, and people who, who are in contact with school staff. That's not worth any money. Wow. And, ooh, yeah. I don't want to go there too long. <laughs> I'll just get bitchy. <laughs> So I want, I want, you know, you mentioned that as you were talking about yourself, you mentioned that you're an art teacher, an elementary art teacher. How did you get into that? What, what got you to do that kind of teaching? Um, well, I've always loved art and I grew up with, uh, my mom did um, in-home daycare for 17 years. So I've always loved kids, loved art. And I wasn't the sport person in my family. I have two sisters, one older, one younger. And, you know, they were the soccer and basketball players. Uh And then here I was, like, I wasn't interested in any sports Uh and um, didn't have great grades in math. And uh, (laughs) so, but I was really interested in a lot of different artists and their backgrounds. And so I took a lot of art. And uh, so you made art, or yeah, you, yeah. Um, yeah. And I um, did uh, a lot of 3D art, and that's uh-huh. my my concentration. And um, so I I also do on the side um, special effects makeup, and I work for KU Med and Stormont Topeka Hospital doing their moulage makeup for the practicing doctors who are you know training to be real doctor so the the trauma simulations i work with the the nurse and they give me the scenarios and then i have to make the models look as you know realistic as possible so they do exercises with simulated patients right and then you you make them look like they need to look for whatever yes Mm -hmm. and you know this is kind of a, a side thing it's just I do the special effects makeup with the hospitals, and then I also do uh, Worlds of Fun Halloween Haunt. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I met my current boyfriend there. (laughs) He worked World of Fun. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, But I I do the special effects. This, uh, if I go back this year, it'll be my tenth year there, and I do um, makeup. Um, on like Fox Four, whenever they have like a movie premiere or uh-huh. Kansas City Live uh, during the Halloween time, I do makeup there. So I, you know, I just kind of dabble Interesting. all over the place. So, so are you into cosplay? Um, you know, cur- I currently I love Crypticon. Have you heard of that? I don't know that one in particular. Crypticon is for horror movie fanatics. Okay. 
So actually, I just went this past weekend, and I've I've been I've done their makeup competition out there. I, it was 2014. I won their um, uh, special effects makeup. So that was you in your own makeup, or you? Did I did a model. Okay. Yeah, and I don't necessarily like doing my own makeup, <laughs> but I still do it. And so this year, um, my boyfriend and I went out there, and I painted up uh, our ourselves as skeletons but i do his makeup for his band they're a zombie metal band called full metal z and full metal z. yeah okay. <laughs> and so i do his band's makeup um all up as zombies so wow. and they, they performed at crypticon so i was doing a lot of makeup last weekend <laughs> i'm the person who like <laughs> there's an annual zombie walk oh place, yeah and it terrifies me it's like i know i'm not going out of the house <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking about the cosplay because are you connected with with April Roller and oh yeah, cosplay, cosplay. For Hope in, yep. in Warnsworth? Yeah, yes. awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> She's actually going to be coming to the art exhibit that we're going to be talking about here in a little bit. <laughs> She's going to be hosting a resource table at my art exhibit. Wonderful, because I think that's real. That to me is is part of that link of yeah. art and mental health. You know, there are different ways that people come together. Cosplay has community. You're talking about Crypticon is one kind of community. I think about. I'm, I'm on the um, steering committee for the local um, NAMI National Alliance on yeah. Mental Illness, and one of my friends on the who's also a steering committee member. Um, something I've gotten to know through the steering committee, Rebecca Kaufman is very into cosplay and has been for years. And so, you know, it was one of those reminders. It was a, it was a community that I hadn't an art form because I do think of that that costuming oneself and and the the interacting as that character that that is totally theater. <laughs> you know, it, it totally is an art form, and that's yet another way that some people. Like when you were talking about yourself as a kid, well, I'm not the sports person, you know, mm -hmm. so I'm not part of that community of kids who really are all into sports. So where am I? Where, where do I fit? Yeah. We need to make sure everybody has that place where they fit. And different kinds of arts <laughs> are one of those places for people. And it's so powerful and literally life saving. You know, when you know you're part of something, you know, you're valued by that set of people. It's a whole different world when you're dealing with hard stuff, when you've got people who say, hey, you know, let's talk or, you know, let's go be together. I'm worried about you. Let's, you know, whatever kind of thing. We actually have something called at the very end of the haunt season at Worlds of Fun because it's like a it's one big family uh -huh. there. Uh, we have something called haunt depression because uh -huh. it, the awesome. season has ended and nobody wants it to end. They want it to keep going. They uh -huh. want Halloween all year round. Uh -huh. So they look forward to it every year where they can dress up and be somebody else sometimes and, uh -huh. you know, forget what's going on in life. Yes. And so for them, some of them are, this is not even a job. This is, they just, they, they love it so much. I don't think they would even worry about getting paid. Uh -huh. You know, this is, is something that they just love doing so much. So yeah, what April Roller does with Cosplay for Hope is awesome. Yeah. So what you just mentioned, the haunt depression, is that for the staff and people who are mm -hmm. part of it? It's not a public event. No, okay. it is just it was something that we just call haunt, yeah. haunt depression. It's just, uh, it's not like an event or anything. Uh -huh. It's just people are really depressed when oh, they, oh, yeah. it's not an event. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. But yeah, that letdown, this yeah. huge thing. We've been doing this stuff. We love it. We love interacting with each other all the time. And it's done. Yeah. Which honestly is a thing for any big event. Mm -hmm. you know, I think about people <laughs> who have intricate, beautiful wedding ceremonies, and it's the same kind of a thing. You know, it's like they've built up to that with all the stuff it took to do it, and then it happens, and then it's over. And it's not to say the marriage isn't important, but but there's that that change of but I'm not still doing this. You know, any any big event. I think about a friend who does improv and, and other kinds of theater, and and she'll say, you know, the cast gets so close, the cast and crew gets so close during the time, like you're talking about with the Halloween stuff, and then it's over. It's over. And then you know, we we don't have that interaction so regularly, and as we have enjoyed this so much, it is a loss that suddenly we're not doing those things. And I will take that to a, to a different extreme. When I think about 
some of the families who I know who have lost the ones to suicide, in particular when, because that's not always something that, that people knew could happen. Their loved one didn't necessarily give them any reason to think about that was a possibility. Um, but for those, there are a lot of families, individuals who for a long period of time have really dedicated their lives to trying to help keep this other person alive. Mm -hmm. And so when this person sadly died, it's not only the loss of that person and the future that was supposed to happen. It's also on a real like day to day basis. What do I do with myself? Because yeah. I, this has been my most important job for a long time. You know, so so we need to know about transitions that and that any feelings and thoughts we have that makes that's they're fine. No judging those, but using support, letting people help us when we need that. Help. No, I met my late husband when I was 15 years old. Wow. I was a freshman. He was a senior in high school and we were together for 17 years. And I had described it um, as being amputated vertically like half of myself was just completely gone uh -huh. when, when he died. And it was like everybody went on back to their own life. Yes. And I felt like I literally had half of myself missing and yeah. I didn't know how to function at yeah. all. And um, it was so scary because mm -hmm. I had never had those thoughts in my life before. Uh, of wanting to end my life and it I, I found my husband at our house and it was a uh, very traumatic and horrifying and I for the first time in my life started thinking of grossly overthinking my own death and that I wanted to end my own pain mm -hmm. and that's when I went and I found um Bonnie and Mickey's support group. It, I mean, I started going three weeks after because uh -huh. I just didn't know what to do with myself. Yeah. I was just roaming around my house by myself. I would be completely naked, screaming at the top of my lung. And I lost 30 pounds within less than two months. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep um, without the aid of... Um, uh, prescription meds. I was on lorazepam and um, I was scared to leave my house mm -hmm. um, because the last time I had left my house, something horrific happened. Mm -hmm. So I was deathly afraid of leaving. I, I didn't want to crumble in front of other people, mm -hmm. you know, and I had to go to like the grocery store and I would go and I would just cry the entire time. Mm -hmm. I I would probably looked really scary to people, but I mean, I had to go and I had to continue living my life. I just mm -hmm. didn't know how to do that. Wow. I, I, I really started like, like making lists for myself. Like I'd get a piece of paper every morning and I would write out, okay, three things I need to do today. And one was like, brush my teeth. Uh -huh. You know, um, the next one would be feed the cats. Mm -hmm. And I mean, those were huge things that I had to get done. It right. doesn't sound like a huge thing to maybe somebody outside looking in. But for me, I had to make those lists to make myself do something and, you know, get those things that I needed to get done that day. Mm -hmm. Showering. I didn't shower for a long time. I wore his clothes mm -hmm. all the time. And um, I would try to watch TV, but I could barely watch TV. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of screaming and crying that was going on mm -hmm. and looking in the mirror and screaming, crying, asking why. Mm -hmm. So, um, um, you know, when you were at the uh, conference, uh -huh. well, can I ask you, were you at the Lost Survivors Day? Um, this particular year, I needed to get back home, so I um, missed this Saturday, which specifically is the Lost Survivors Day. Well, I got to see and hear Iris Bolton oh, yes. talk, and I'm so glad that I did because she said it was her last year, and she is an author of mm. My Son, My Son, and she gave a really great quote um, that said, she said, I know why my son did it. Think of a glass 
an empty glass. And for every stress or a bad thing that happens in your life, add a drop of water in that glass until it keeps filling up and then, then it reaches the brim. Right. And then that last drop that sends it spilling over the edge, um, everybody wants to blame that last drop, but nobody looks inside the glass yes. to see the rest of the drops yeah. inside of there. Yeah. Because I was, um, I was blamed by, uh, our, my, my marriage was blamed by my husband's police department. Um, they used our marriage as a catalyst, um, and they um, blamed not only in the police report, but also in the autopsy report. What the hell? Yeah, and it was so devastating. I already blamed myself, but then I started hating myself mm-hmm. when I saw that. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to his chief twice, and he has ignored me twice. And it... it I learned more about my husband after his death than I did when I was with him for 17 years. There were so many secrets that unfolded, but um, I was so devastated when I read that report. My husband had told me a year before he died, he said, don't let any police officer in our house without a warrant. He just said it out of the blue one day, don't let any police officer in our house without a warrant. And I said, should I be worried? Yeah. And he, are they coming? <laughs> and he said, just don't let anybody in our house without a warrant, Lindsay. And um, that night he died. I wasn't in my right mind. I was even, I had to go to the hospital that night, but they had, the police asked me to sign a paper. They asked me to search the, my house and I, you know, forgot that conversation that me and Brett had. And um, they went through and they combed through my house to find any piece of evidence to put it on our marriage. Mm-hmm. And they even went as far as taking the receipts off our printer for marriage counseling visits. And they collected it all as evidence and put that into their official report. And... Um, and then in the autopsy report, you know, it lists suicide, but it says under initial findings that um, uh, Brett was having marital issues before he ended his life. And that I found was so unfair because I thought an autopsy was supposed to be really objective. Yes. And um, I mean, like I was really thinking hard about ending my own life after I saw that mm-hmm. and what the police department with the absence of the police department and the chief ignoring me, it really um, delayed my healing process Mm -hmm. and it added on to my grief. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I speak out. Um, Actually, I, I really thank his chief for ignoring me because it really fueled the fire inside of me to help mm-hmm. others. Mm-hmm. And now I'm even in connection with the National Fraternal Order of Police and they're, start, they're starting an organization. They just started it seven months ago um, for families who have an officer that has ended their life. It's for them because there are so many of us that are blamed for an officer's suicide and the families are left behind. Um, Not all deaths are created equal, as you probably know. And suicide is so different because usually mourners are greeted with sympathy and compassion and suicide loss survivors, especially law enforcement families, uh, are met with blame, judgment, and exclusion. And I wasn't asking for a lot. All I really needed was for someone to come over from the police department, an officer, and tell me that it wasn't my fault, that um, they didn't blame me, and to share some, maybe some good stories about my husband. That's what I really needed. But what I got was the opposite. And I was, uh, my marriage was blamed and I was ignored. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I speak out, but the national fraternal order of police, they, um, they just started this organization and it's not, uh, off the ground just yet, 
but they said once it gets running, they um, they, they want to stay in connection with me because mm-hmm. they think that um, more people speaking out and you know postvention is prevention. You know, I I um I just spoke um, last week at Roland Park Police Department, and last or in June. I spoke at the United States Army at Fort Leavenworth to the soldiers, mm-hmm. and I'm not stop. I'm not stopping. I'm I'm going to continue uh-huh. to speak out uh-huh. because I hopefully, you know, maybe somebody can hear what I have to say, and they will either see it and maybe somebody that they know um, the warning signs, or maybe somebody themselves who are experiencing right. that right. will know that. Um, feeling like if you're a burden and that the, somebody will be better off without you, that that is so incorrect because Brett wrote in his suicide letter. He said that um, uh, he blamed the police department. Um, and he said it, um, that I deserve so much better. And he felt like a burden on me. And what he really did was he unknowingly, his suicide unknowingly passed on um, that uh, that pain that he was suffering mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. It just passed it straight on to me. Mm-hmm. So the hole he escaped out of, you know, it drugged me down into a hole. I, I mean, that hole will always be there right now that I'm able to stand over that hole and walk around that hole. But sometimes I slip back down in that hole. Mm-hmm. So um, that hole will always be there. But when people think that they're doing you a favor by ending their life, they really are not. So that's why I'm speaking out. Yeah. And like you're saying, by, by being somebody who has experienced suicide loss, who's speaking to audiences, <laughs> that by virtue of the size of people who, the, the number of people who are hearing you, there are people in those audiences who are struggling with suicide, yeah. with their own suicide thoughts, and maybe have past attempts, maybe use self-harm. And they get that opportunity to hear you speak about what it was like for you. And they get that kind of reminder. They've probably been exposed to it in some ways, but but that personal, <laughs> here is this person, and she's sharing her story. And I know I don't want to do that to, to my family. That may be, you know, you, you don't know how many people that, but there'll be some people who reach out for some support that they wouldn't have otherwise. Yes. You know? and, and I always say talking is the first step. Yeah. We've got to be able to say the word suicide. We've got to be able to talk about it as something that is something that a point that people get to, you know, and in, in my one-on-one counseling, I might say, you know, when somebody has experienced as many health issues and losses as you have, sometimes they think about suicide. Is that something that you're thinking about? You know, and and to to not not normalize ending one's life, but to know that the feelings that lead to thoughts happen to so many people every day. You know, that we don't help anybody by making it taboo to talk about. Right. And I'm really interested, I, I, I do want to get you talking about what your art project, creating that art, both the book and the drawings, what has that been like for you personally, as well as, of course, we want people to know about the exhibit enough. Mm, you know, I started, when I started the support group, and hearing all those people with their stories, and when I started three weeks after Brett had died, there was people in there who had, they, they had been years out from the death Mm -hmm. and they were there to help support the ones that were starting at ground zero, Uh like myself at that time. And they had talked about how people, um, there's going to be people in your life that you thought were going to be there for you, but they're not. And then there's going to be special people in your life that are going to come in that you never thought that they would ever. Uh-huh. And um, I realized that I could sit around and listen to everybody's story without shying away. And I knew that I wanted to get to that point where I could be someone to help others when they're starting out at ground zero. Uh-huh. 
So, but back then to keep my hands busy, I was drawing everybody in the support group when they would tell their most darkest day uh-huh. and f- finding their loved one or hearing about their loved one's uh-huh. death that day, I would draw their face and uh-huh. I would just look at them and I wouldn't look at my paper. It's called uh-huh. blind contour drawing. Uh-huh. And I would just sit there and draw their expression on their face uh-huh. and capture whatever emotional repercussion I saw. And um, so over time I had all hundreds of these drawings and I decided, um, you know what, it's about time for the public to see what us lost survivors go through. Uh And so I decided to get them all matted and framed and, um, then I was like, man, I need to probably find an exhibit place <laughs> now. <laughs> so, um, uh, so I went downtown to First Fridays, you know, down in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh-huh. My favorite art exhibit uh, area, the Lady Volkos Art Center. Uh-huh. I marched right in there and met with uh, the owner uh-huh. and sat and told her my idea of I want to do an exhibit and just show you know, the public about lost survivors and what we go through. Uh-huh. And <laughs> she goes, well, what, what dates do you want? Awesome. She, she's like, tell me what dates you want. She was so wonderful. She gave me two months. Uh-huh. And which includes <clears throat> September, which has yes. suicide prevention day. Yes. Well, down. she was giving me the, the reign of the whole year. And uh-huh. I said, I really want, Suicide Awareness Month in September. Mm-hmm. So how about the month before and then September? Uh-huh. So, but then like my book, my, if this is bigger than just my story. Right. That's why I like to include more uh-huh. than just my story. I actually, I had a publisher. Not a lot of people know this. <laughs> I had a publisher, <laughs> but I ended up firing her because she said that my story was so sad. And she only wanted me to be the illustrator in the book. And she didn't want all the other people because it lists who they lost underneath their illustration. And I can't believe I'm revealing the secret right now because a lot of people think that I have a publisher. I'm self-published because I fired her because I wanted it to be more than just my story Uh and show kids that you're not alone. So with my exhibit too, um, you know, it showcases many different lost survivors, people who've lost uh, husbands, wives, parents, siblings, partners. Um, I mean, best friends. Um, some people I don't even know because they they passed in the group to speak. They couldn't even speak. So I just write the word pass then uh-huh. uh, because the, the title of each artwork is who they lost to keep uh-huh. their anonymity. Uh-huh. So. Um, Anywho, I decided also I wanted a wall of letters uh-huh. uh, that is written by the lost survivor to the person they've lost. Uh-huh. And just a one-page handwritten letter. And that way the public can go over and read uh-huh. that. And, and it's for anybody. Kids have been writing letters, too, uh-huh. you know, that they've lost a parent or an uncle or, you know, yeah. whoever. Yes. And it's a growing wall. Yeah. So people who can come to the exhibit, if they've lost somebody suicide, that they can then sit down and write a letter or they can go home, write a letter and mail it in mm-hmm. and I'll add it to the wall. Mm-hmm. So it's just going to keep growing. And uh, the third part, the third component of the exhibit is uh, the resources. I've reached out to local and global prevention organizations uh-huh. And I've been getting all these resources from all around the, the Kansas City area, the U.S. and the world, as far even to Southeast Asia and Singapore. Uh-huh. So um, I just want people to see that it doesn't discriminate. It can happen to anyone. It can happen anywhere. And um, if they are in, in need, uh, hopefully they can they can remember a resource if they can take the resource with them, mm-hmm. you know, when they're at the art exhibit and they know oh, I can get help at this place. Mm-hmm. I'm even having a place. Um, Hope for the day is based out of Chicago. They're coming. They're going to be um, hosting a table nice. uh, the night before 
it opens to the public. I'm having a private viewing and they're going to be hosting a resource table and they're going to be leaving their resources, you uh -huh. know, and there's a place in Oklahoma that's coming uh, from Bartlesville. Uh -huh. And, you know, there's a lot of people that want to show people, very compassionate people, uh -huh. passionate people that want to show others that um, it just does not discriminate. And we're here to help. Yeah. Awesome. And I'm going to ask you again. When you do your art, when you were doing those drawings, what was that doing for you? Um, I don't see myself as an artist. Okay. <laughs> I see myself as an observer and a listener. Uh -huh. And so when I was drawing the people in the support group, literally it was just I needed to keep my hands busy. Okay. I, I couldn't sit still. And so to sit and draw, it calms me. Um, to and listen, that's huge. yes, to yeah. listen to others' stories, knowing that I wasn't alone. I don't like that it happened to them. We're all part of this club that we don't want to be a part of. Right. So, uh, sitting there and listening to those stories, knowing that I can sit in there and look at them and not shy away, and and you know that, um, and for them also that they can sit there and listen to my horrific story uh -huh. and they don't shy away they don't judge me uh -huh. you know just this connection with each drawing I can't tell you what their names are but I can tell you by looking at every single artwork of mine I know who they lost uh -huh. I don't even have to look at the title I know who they lost and what their story you is what they I, yes yeah. I know every single one of them and for me when I think about faces one of the things that, that I know is that there is such huge <laughs> benefit in people being able to speak openly. I can think about people who walked into my group and what they looked like when they sat down in a chair and what they looked like after they'd been there a while talking. And it's, it's this transformation that happens. And I'm not saying that it's permanent after, you know, they've been at that meeting and they're going to be feeling better and looking better because we know we have ups and downs and it's, it's the rest of our life. It's not, it's not a finite process of you do this, this, and this, and then you're done and then you're back to you. You're never the same person that you were before, you know, but you are a, a wonderful, valuable person. And for most of us over time, we might recognize that probably more compassionate. We have a better sense of what's important. Um, there, there are positive traits. And, and Iris Bolton, who you mentioned, will say that when she was first told this thing that she repeats to everybody, that there is a gift in the loss, she thought the person who told her that was nuts. Yeah. <laughs> but over time, she realized that that is true. And so I, I think about faces. We show so much in our faces. And and connection eases a lot of tension in our faces and other parts of us. And that that part is really powerful. I mean, it would be really interesting, I'm sure this will happen some at the exhibit, when some of those people who you have drawn are there and seeing that person and where they are at this moment in their life when they're at the exhibit and that that drawing that reflects that moment of them starting that story, there will be some people where probably it's like, I can't even imagine that that's, you know, what that, that intensity of, of pain mm -hmm. that that's reflected in that drawing and, and what you look like right now. Yeah. It's, and I think what people don't um, realize sometimes with the, the, the grief process or the grief, the grief mayhem, <laughs> I call it, um, you know, it's not just sorrow and despair that there's rage and there is agony and there is relief. And, you know, there's people in the group that recall happy memories mm -hmm. and there's people that are shouting and they are so hateful and confused. Yeah. Yeah. And so I try to show a range of different emotions yeah. um, with, you know, most of the people I drew in the group was the first night they had ever come to group. Mm -hmm. There are some people that were before me. And so I would, I draw as, I try to draw as many people as possible. There are only like 
like three or four minute drawings, mm-hmm. you know, and they look uh, uh, pretty scribbly mm-hmm. and there's some recognizable features that you can see, but I don't think uh, there's one, somebody from the support group went on my website on the above the rug and they were looking at some of the artwork that I had put on there. I didn't put all of my artwork, but he goes, I, I know that that's me. Uh (laughs) He's like, I can recognize that was me. Uh And um, he's like, I just, I look so angry. I look so angry. He's like, did I look like that? I was like, yeah, you did yeah. that night. It was his first night that you came in. But um, yeah, I I don't know. It just brings a sense of calmness and uh-huh. drawing them. But that was before. And now, like, when I draw, it's, like, it's very purposeful of a, I, it's, it's not even a calming agent anymore for me. It's more like I'm driven to show people what this looks like um so i never intended it to be shown like i said to the public Uh this is just it was like you know what we talk about what can we do to make a difference there's a lot of people in the support group like what what do we do how can i make a difference on this i don't want this to happen to somebody else and so i try to i just thought i don't know outside of the box of um what to do because I know that my late husband, if he had gone to a training um, in the police department on suicide, he would have not have cared. He would have not cared at all. If he had seen a poster, he probably would have spit at the poster or not even spit at it. He probably would have torn it down and thrown it in the trash if, along with the other posters on the wall of whatever they were. He, they wouldn't have mattered to him. He, he was, uh, well, he was very um, tormented. Um, um, I found out after he died, he had uh, been molested by a first stepdad he never even told me about. So um, he kept all those secrets inside of him. He never got the help that he deserved when he was little. And um, he was at this part of his life towards the end where he wanted to hurt others. He made threats against people in the police department, not to them, but to me at home. Um, He made threats about killing people of the people of Westport, people of Plaza. He made a threat against me, his best friend, um, his family. So he was full of rage inside of him. So I feel like just like cosplay for Hope, how uh-huh. she zoned in on a, a different area. Uh-huh. You know, we have to zone in on different areas and it can't just be like what wor- works for one person is exactly. not going to work for the other. Exactly. So I wanted to bring something to the art district yes. and it's, this is a traveling exhibit and there's been interest in other parts of the U S that uh-huh. and also in Canada that want the exhibit to come to them. Uh-huh. And so I feel like that's, you know, I love art. Uh-huh. So this is what I can bring to the table. Uh-huh. So. That's wonderful. And you've shared, you know, really intimately about your husband and you and given people a glimpse of some of what's, <coughs> what his struggles were and certainly some of the impact of yours. And that's a huge gift to our listeners because we need to talk about this. And we, you know, so I want to thank you for, for being that open. And I know you're doing it. And lots of venues in front of hundreds of people. So yeah. not not just on this podcast where you know we're talking around the table. I, I think that's really important. People need to hear the stories and need to know that there are similarities and differences in our stories, you know. And for some people, kind of, you know, you you alluded to there are things you learned about your husband after his death. I I've I've been with too many people with but but I know there are lots of people who have that experience that not only did this loved one die, but after this loved one's death, suddenly there's all this, not I mean, it takes a little unfolding, but there's also this loss of this person wasn't totally who I thought they were no. because they were doing these things that were hidden and secretive that likely were a big part of both coping and the reason oh, yeah. for dying. And, and there's a whole other level of devastation, you know, that, that 
you know, there's death, there's suicide, and there's this, this lying that's been going on and these other things, you know, a, a dear friend who's, her husband had wiped out all their money, their retirement and everything. She didn't know that until after his death. Yeah. And then sort of where that, where had that money gone was a whole other part of the horrible, you know, like I have to grapple with all these lies. I had no idea this was going on. So it's, it's hard and it's different. And the message that you're putting out there through the art, through the exhibit is one, we, we need to talk. We need to be open about this. That's how we start getting help and helping each other, helping ourselves. And that, you know, our reactions are real and human and valuable and survivable. And, and my word is not only can we survive, but we can get back to or get maybe for the first time to a point where we realize we're actually thriving. Yeah. You know, and that's what it's about. You know, when, when I think about my my personal experience with suicide loss and I think about my <coughs> professional work and I think about my own struggles that I've had at different points in my life and will have again, you know, think about all of that stuff. And I know that I also have wonderful things in my life. I'm in touch with that. And that that's what it's about is helping people get to the point where they can recognize that there are wonderful things in their lives too, and be glad to be alive, not just staying alive, not just mm-hmm. barely hanging. I don't like to say that, just barely keeping alive, but but actually being glad that they're alive. Yeah. And it takes help and it takes support, it takes community, it takes friendships. It's not just about how many sessions you go to a therapist, it's finding your people, it's finding the things that you really enjoy doing that fuel you. There's all this stuff, which is why I always ask people who use art, like, tell me about the personal side of that. Because I've had so many people who have said, this saved my life. And that is what brought this show, Talk With Me, to really focus on artists and their impact. Because I also know that we get to sneak up on people, just like you were talking about as a public speaker for suicide awareness and suicide prevention. You know there are people in your audience who have a new opportunity to give or get or both some help because they've been inspired by you. You don't know who all it is, but you know it happens. You know you know there are lost survivors in the room who go, okay, um, I, I'm, I'm not the only one it's okay to use help there are all these levels of impact and you know sometimes people are in in an audience because they kind of have to be there you know Mm -hmm. and they still get some benefits sometimes sometimes they can shut it out like you think your your husband would have but um it's it's really important that we have these conversations and i think it's really important that art is one of the vehicles for those conversations so i love that you have this book i love that it's specifically for kids because any kids book People of all ages can get benefits from too, right? Oh yeah. You know, and and I love that there's this art thing, and that this, you know, kudos to the gallery owner for saying, yeah, let's do this. When's the best time? Yeah. And two months with that exhibit, um, really great. So on the Facebook page, there will be a link um, to the information about the exhibit. Obviously, people can go to above the rug, above the rug dot com, and get information yes. when it. When it's in a variety of places, you know, if they're not in the Kansas City area in August and September, uh, hopefully there will be times coming up when in other communities yep. people have I, I list all the different events that come up on there, so I keep it up to date. All right. So that's exciting stuff. It's really exciting and important stuff. That's, that's what I think, um, that people have these opportunities and that you're a brave soul who has said, I'm going to do this. It's it's part of who I am now, and I need to do something positive with that, and I need to try to help others. Mm-hmm. Ditto to you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Lots of good things going on. We just need more of us doing it. <laughs> and I will say again, as we're we're actually at the end of our hour, that hey, we've been. This is Lindsay Doolittle, and and Lindsay, thank you so much for sharing your story here and in all the ways that you're doing that, and sharing other people's stories helping other people have that opportunity they wouldn't have had because you draw them and you post their letters as part of your exhibit. You know, that's, that's really, that's, I can't even imagine how meaningful that is. Those people who probably, some of whom wouldn't be talking publicly, but they can know they're making a difference as part of your exhibit. You are so right on, we need more people. I, 
talking about it. I, I really believe we need to get more people educated on their grief and get out there speaking. Yes. Um, I wouldn't do it right away because I followed a lot of stigmas that the society has, you know, ingrained in us. Yeah. So being able to be in a support group and getting my grief educated was the best gift I gave to myself after the death of my husband. Uh-huh. So if we can get more people educated on their grief and speaking out, the better. Yeah. And for people who are listening, because you could be anywhere, if you're in the United States, you go to the website, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, which is the acronym AFSP.org, you can get to an area that is for survivors of suicide loss. You can get to an area where you can say, this is where I am, I want to find a support group and get information about support groups like the ones through SAS, MOCAN, or like Mind Healing After Suicide, or my friend Sandy's Heals in Topeka, that, that there are groups, not in every community, unfortunately, but there are also some online supports. And the AFSP website in that loss area also has those online supports, which can be huge for people you know, who are in areas where there aren't grief support groups around them of any kind, not, not to, you know, nonetheless, nothing for suicide loss. It can make a huge difference to even have an online community of support. It's yeah. huge. I want to thank you, Lindsay. I want to thank our listeners. I want to thank Daniel Smith, who produces the show, because if he didn't do his thing, nobody else would get to hear us. <laughs> so thank you, listeners. And we will be back for more episodes of Talk With Me. So keep checking. So long.